Hi, everybody. This is Joel Junker, and welcome to another edition of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. A podcast was launched about six months ago with the purpose to help the Cameron Brooks alumni that are out there working in business to learn from their peers and other military officers that made the transition to business, as well as officers serving in the military today to learn about the options in business and um, what people do in different career fields from medical to sales to corporate finance to engineering. And in this episode, I interview Cameron Brooks alumnus Joe Dowdy, who's a former Army uh, helicopter pilot who is now in corporate finance with Noble Energy. Uh, Noble is what they call an upstream oil and gas company. Uh, They do exploration and drilling um, in the energy industry. And Joe, uh, after he made the transition, started in a corporate finance role with Noble, ended up getting his MBA at uh, NYU uh, while working with Noble. And we have a great conversation uh, about his transition what the one really does in corporate finance, as well as some of the advice that he's received in his career. I hope you enjoy. Uh, for those of you that are thinking about making the transition uh, out of the military to business, I encourage you to read PCS to Corporate America, fourth edition, which you can order from Amazon.com. Visit the Cameron Brooks website, Cameron-Brooks.com, or email me directly at candidates at Cameron-Brooks.com. For those alumni that are listening to this, uh, if you ever have any questions or need any career advice, always reach out to us uh, at also candidates at Cameron-Brooks.com or uh, you can reach Chuck Alvarez, our CEO, at Chuck at Cameron-Brooks.com. All right. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the Cameron Brooks Podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Great to, uh, great to be on and, and great to catch up with you. Well, yeah, you, you know, I think you're one of the first people that we've had on that I can, in so far, I think we have like 12 episodes that has a corporate finance background. So I'm looking forward to you sharing what you do in corporate finance. Um, but I want to just start general um, and talk about your career and your company and how you got to where you are today. So um, just tell us a little bit about what you do right now in Noble Energy. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, so currently I'm a, a finance manager. Uh, I work out of our treasury group, uh, focused mainly on our uh, midstream operations. Uh, Noble Energy currently has two MLPs. Uh, that stands for Master Limited Partnerships. And so it's just a vehicle that um, some people choose uh, to monetize their midstream assets from. Um, like I said, Noble has two. Uh, I work for the one that uh, is out of our Marcellus um, operation out of Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Uh, so that focuses on the, the Marcellus shale for anybody that's uh, looking at the oil and gas industry. And really what I do is the uh, the CEO of that company is a Noble employee, John Lewis. And and I look at um, really the capital structure of, of the MLP. Um, the MLP uh, is a uh, vehicle that gives its investors a, a distribution, so it's a yield-based vehicle. Uh, and so you have a lot of people that, that buy these things and, and buy into them at, with units instead of uh, shares of stock. And they're long-term investors, and so they look for a uh, – they look for a nice stable return, and so the the job of the MLP is to provide them a a steady stream of cash flow. 
Um, so there's uh, there's quite a bit of financial engineering, if you will, that goes into these things. Uh, clearly, they're um, required to have a, a good, strong operational base that both Noble shares with Consol Energy. But uh, we look at the capital structure. We look at how much distribution we can pay per quarter. Um, it involves how much our capital budget can be for said quarter, um, keeping our expenses low. Uh, and so we, uh, you know, we just try to meet our, our, our growth targets and, and return our investors the cash that they, they've invested into us um, at the time since IPO. So let, let me just clarify some things because some of the things I'm sure are very new to, to people listening to this, um, kind of unique. So MLP stands for what, Joe? It's a Master Limited Partnership. And so you have, Noble has part of this partnership. You do not own the whole thing yourself. Uh, that's that's correct. For the one that I work for, Cone Midstream Partners, it's actually a, a joint venture. Uh, so it's uh, co-owned with our joint venture sponsor, Consol Energy. Okay. Uh, and then the uh, the other one is Noble Midstream Partners, and that is a uh, that's a wholly owned, uh, the public and Noble own that other MLP. Okay. Which just recently launched. And this is pretty pretty common within the oil and gas industry. These master limited partnerships. Why is that? Uh, it's a um, so Noble Energy. Just a little bit about it is uh, it's an exploration and production company. So it's focused on what's called the upstream sector, and and that's really finding oil and gas um, reserves, and then drilling for those reserves uh, and producing them. And in order to produce them, you've got to have a uh, component that's called the midstream, um, which gets you to um, kind of the long-haul pipelines, if you will, that get you finally to the downstream, which is where the refiners and um, uh, refined products go. So what uh, the reason that they're common, Joel, is a lot of E&P companies invest a lot of money in midstream uh, capital. So that's kind of, it's think of those as facilities, um, and it's not a drilling rig, and, and, and so they're they're capital intensive, and, and an MLP is a um, tax-advantaged uh, vehicle that uh, EMPs found that they can formulate and, and monetize those midstream assets. And so the other company that you partner with, are they a midstream company, or are they also an exploration production company? By the way, that's what you, just for the listeners, E&P, exploration and production. They, Correct. Uh, that's what you mean by that. Are they, are they a midstream company? Is that why you formed the partnership? Uh, no, actually, they are uh, Consol Energies. Uh, it's probably one of the oldest coal mining companies in America, um, but uh, they transitioned, or they are transitioning from coal into natural gas, and so they they have two lines of business. They still coal, they still mine coal, uh, and then they're also a a, um, a gas, natural gas exploration and production company. So we had a joint venture uh, to get into their acreage. You know, I have a feeling that, and I, kind of jokingly, that some of the stuff then that some people are in finance um, or in, a, in the oil and gas industry, some of this might be over their head. But I think what the real story is here, Joe, how do you go from being an Army aviator to talking about being in a treasury to master limited partnerships? Like, how does this relate? How do you go from Army aviator using that skill set to managing capital? of a of a um, exploration production site on the Marsala Shale? 
Yeah, um, that's a great question. So um, when I joined Noble uh, a little over five years ago, uh, coming out of the Cameron Brooks program, uh, they had a rotational program um, that uh, put me through uh, capital report or capital accounting, excuse me, uh, which is kind of the debits and credits of of um, the accounting world. Uh, then I moved into a internal audit um, space, which you know let me see kind of how noble noble functions uh, across the globe, meaning all the lines of business that they're in. Uh, and then finally, uh, I went. Uh, we had just formed the joint venture with Consol, and there was a um, what Noble likes to call an operations finance uh, role available. And for the third rotation, they allowed me to to pick where I'd want to go, and and I wanted to be in that type of role, so I got into the business unit. And the business unit, uh, the role of the operations finance is to to partner with the engineers and the geologists and and you, you're basically a steward of the of the company's capital um, and and help manage the expenses. So that's really where you learn, um, or where I learned the most about um, uh, EMP operations. Uh, and once that rotation was over, I had an opportunity to actually uh, work for um, a reservoir engineer. Which um, the reservoir engineers are the guys that that run the economics, uh, so they determine whether projects are, are viable uh, in the sense of, you know, do they meet or exceed the company's cost of capital um, and, and select which projects to do. And a project at the business unit level is really, you know, do we drill a well or not drill a well. And so I got a, a big dose of, of project economics and learned a lot from, you know, a technical perspective from an engineering and geology um, side and about that time is when I decided that uh, I wanted to pursue an MBA uh, and uh, Noble was ex incredibly supportive of that. Um, CFO Ken Fisher who's a, a pretty big advocate of, of JMOs and a, a big time partner for Cameron Brooks um, agreed that that an MBA would be a good a good choice for me and uh, he essentially told me I need to get into the best finance MBA school that I could. Uh, and I chose NYU. Um, so I went to NYU every other weekend through their executive program and um, did that for about 24 months and came out of that and went to the back to the operations guys and said, hey, you know, this has been great and I've learned a lot, but it's it's kind of time for me to get back into um, into finance and and not just you know the operations finance, but getting into capital structures and and kind of the corporate finance role, and they were again supportive of that. And I went back to Ken Fisher and said, "Hey, can I can I come back and into the finance org and and look at a treasury type role?" And he agreed. And then Noble decided to um, really focus in on its midstream operations, and so uh, that's that's kind of where I landed. And you know it's it's been great because like i said the the mlps are are highly financial engineered and and it's what i like doing you've got a lot of things we can go off in this in this direction maybe we'd start with so when you went when you went to noble initially into finance a lot of times i hear people talk about corporate finance yeah i'm not so sure i'm interested in that i don't want to be in a cube just nugging out spreadsheets 
and I and I mistakenly the last person I had on here was Dan Allen, by the way, who started in finance at Procter and Gamble. I think I wrote that wrote that off as one of my last ones, be, or not being in finance, because he's actually part of a private equity company, but he started in finance. And I asked him a very similar question. But since you, you know, he got out like 20 years ago, but this is pretty fresh for you. Mm -hmm. People say, oh, I, you, you, you know, I don't want to be in a cube. I don't want to be nugging out spreadsheets and analytics. Is that what corporate finance is, or is that what operations finance is? Uh, not at all. Uh, I mean, you... It, you can certainly interpret that if if that's you know kind of your view. I would say that's a very myopic view, um, and I would um, I think I was lucky, and and I think it's um, I think it's important to start at the uh, in whatever business you're in, but a business out on the line to actually understand what what the company that you're working for does, um, and that gives you a greater appreciation for. Uh, a corporate finance role, in my opinion, because you're you know you're enabling the company to invest dollars, and and when you know what those dollars are doing, then it's not so much well you know I got to do a sum if formula in Excel. It's well how do I you know how do I increase value? How do I capture value? So I, I could see that point of view if you started in corporate finance and you didn't have exposure to the to the lines of business. Um, but I think if you really focus on what you're Company does then makes a lot of sense. Um, what what the what? How much are you like in a cube versus going to a conference room, going out on site, um, doing the operations type of things, and in in what kinds of decisions are you making versus just reporting? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. When when I was in operations finance and and then even in the operations group, uh, it was very important for you know what would be considered back office personnel to be um, to be out on the line and understanding what goes on in the field. So there, there were a lot of opportunities to um, to go out and actually see a well get hydraulically fracked or see a drilling rig operate and, and drill a well. Um, so those those you know those early years there was a lot of field time I would say. Um, as I transitioned into the the corporate finance role, uh, you're you're becoming more forward-facing for the company, so the interactions change. Now it's meeting with uh, various bankers. Um, you know, the, this morning um, there was the the board of directors for the for Cone, um, the the MLP that I work for, uh, presented at the at the board level, um, and so you know, it, it it's a different type of interaction, but it's a more forward-facing and, and probably a more visible, highly visible role. Than being out in the out in the field and kind of in the trenches. Um, and, and another thing that you brought up is getting the MBA. Um, you one of the things I hear from people um, when they leave the military is the reason that they want to get the MBA um, before they go into business is that they don't want to have to balance working and getting the MBA simultaneously. What would your response be to that objective? You know, you and I haven't even talked about this, so I don't know what your response would be. I just, I, so I just want the listeners to know that this is just a very objective response. Yeah, I would say that um, I would say that if you transition and your goal is to go back to school for an MBA, then um, to me, uh, you, you, 
and this is you know this is certainly just my opinion, but I think if you're going to go do a full-time MBA, then you're committing yourself to either a uh, a consulting type role or or an investment banking type role uh, slash private equity, um, and and you're also committing to entering uh, entering those roles at the associate level, which depending on when you exit the military may or may not sync up with your kind of year group, if you will. Um, I think the advantage to uh, doing an executive type MBA is um, your your classmates uh, just have a broader range of experiences. So there were you know CEOs in the company or CEOs in in my classes at NYU. Uh, there were also guys that were just like me that would you know be at the senior analyst level. Um, and so I think you just get a different perspective, and you also um, you can you can probably apply your skills quicker uh, in a you know in a working and going to back to school, but uh, without knowing uh, the other side, then that's just speculation. Yeah, I did, you know it's funny. I've never said it that way, but that's exactly we talked about. You can really take what you're learning and apply it right away, but it's actually the skills. Um, certainly, there's value in a full-time MBA, especially as you mentioned, if you want to get into investment banking or private equity. Is really the route that you need to go to get into those things. Um, but back to if you're in an operations finance or you're in a um, financial role with like Noble, Procter and Gamble, Shell Oil, or something like that, or marketing, whatever it may be, and you've got the executive MBA, these are tools that you can take and apply the next day. Yeah, absolutely. And and you actually see the um, you know the professors that taught in the executive MBA press. Uh, uh, school were the same that taught in the pro professional or full-time program, depending on which how schools classify it. But they actually, uh, at least at NYU, they they teach it a little bit different because uh, you, you certainly get the theory, but you also get the the practicality of it. And so, uh, especially when you're thinking about corporate finance, and you can get really theoretical stuff that you know is crazy out there. But but I think in those you know executive programs. Um, you, you got a lot of people that can tell you that you know it's it's just not NPV and 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 you can't calculate your weighted average cost of capital so cleanly as you can in a in a textbook. So I, I think that's the other benefit. Uh, how did you balance working, going to New York every other week, and studying? <laughs> it was brutal. Uh, so I'm not going to lie. It was not uh, it was not easy. Um, uh, and when I was in the operations role, so uh, I'd be in New York every other week, and then the between weeks I'd be in in Pittsburgh uh, working with our joint venture partner. So there was a lot of travel, um, and it was hard on the family, uh, no doubt about that. But uh, a lot of studying got done on that three-hour plane ride from Houston to to New York City. So because your family was in, were you, your family in Pittsburgh at that time? Were they in Houston? No, they were in Houston. They were in okay. Houston. So you, you you got a lot of plane time, a lot of textbook time open up there. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was a, a United 1K member for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, what would you uh, – what advice would you give to a military officer um, today thinking about um, getting out of the military and um, – what they could do if they've got a year before their transition, things that they could start learning, reading that maybe you wish you would have done 
or you, other people that you've interviewed? What would what, that advice be to them? Yeah, you know, the, uh, reading, I, I'll tell you, the reading what what I think would have been better for me, and, and I didn't really read the, the Wall Street Journal. It really doesn't make a difference what newspaper you're reading, but I think there's a there's not a lot of emphasis on reading, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, The Economist. Um, you, I think in the military you read, you, you're kind of reading books, um, or at least I was reading books, um, and and being aware of what, what the world is doing and, and really starting to interconnect, um, interconnect, you know, just macroeconomic events. Um, and, and I think that was something that I underappreciated and, and wasn't prepared for whenever I came to work at Noble. Um, so, I, yeah, I really like the periodicals uh, more than I like the, uh, like the books. What do you read today now that you're not studying for your MBA? <laughs> it's funny. I was actually – I haven't read a military book in a long time, but uh, a buddy of mine recommended a book called um, The Generals. It's by Thomas Ricks. And it uh, it follows how general it, it follows generals from War II all the way through, uh, probably midway through the war on G Watt or whatever we're calling it these days. But uh, it it starts with how Marshall uh, selected generals, and then it's the transition of 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 kind of losing that the the Marshall principles, uh, leadership principles, and and how responsibility is kind of. Um, uh, responsibility is eroded amongst the general officer ranks, and so it's interesting to to read about these guys and and kind of some of their personal struggles. So does it make you miss the, the military at all, Joe? Uh, it, you know, it certainly does. It, uh, nothing makes me miss the military more than you know watching the there's an Apache unit in Conroe that's just north of Houston, and when I see those guys fly, that that makes me miss it more than than reading stuff. Because you miss flying, but you still fly a helicopter occasionally. Actually, I don't. I wish I did. I, I'm I'm uncurrent. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, and what we, now? We talked about if you're a military officer transition. You've been five years at uh, at Noble, done very well. Um, what would you say are the the keys to successfully? making the transition from the military to business. And the reason why I say successfully make the transition, we really define success being three to five years out of the military with that company. It's a good company and the positions are really good fit and you've got significant accomplishments along the way. But a lot of things can derail a career or people aren't as hungry as they should be. You obviously have done it. You've moved up. You've gone to different parts of the company. The company's got you out there, got your MBA. You obviously are talking over probably half our audience's head here in finance. And you know what you're doing. Um, what do you think are the keys to making that successful transition? Yeah, I would say um, I would say what I struggled with um, uh, was you know coming out of the military as a pilot and you know, had seven years in um, mid. I guess I was a mid grade captain, starting to be a senior captain, and it was. Um, I'm not gonna lie. It was. It was hard to start over um, in a in a. It was at the time. It's a development financial analyst is your job title, but because um, you're doing rotations here at Noble, but you go from you go from company command to you know just learning how to do a job. Um, 
and a job that you really, uh, I mean, you might have a degree for, but uh, you haven't in most purpose or most cases, I would say that you you're not um, you haven't been in, and and it you're in a disadvantaged position, um, and so it, it it's more psychological than it is anything else, and so I I think the the biggest struggle is if if you can go into that knowing that um, you know there will be some you will go backwards before you can go forwards. Um, and, and then from there, it's just it's just grinding on it and doing the work. Um, it's um, you know putting in your hours and learning um, learning that you you might have a valuable opinion uh, on on you know a management technique or a management style, but at the end of the day, you know the guy that's uh, you know five years out of college that's been doing the accounting for that amount of time is going to know. Just technically, no more than you, and and if you can recognize that you can learn a lot from those guys and girls, then then I think you'll be successful. But I would say that's the, that was the biggest hardship that I had. Um, and what you mentioned earlier about a book that you've been reading, the generals. What would you say has been uh, one of the books that's been more business, or maybe it's something like the generals, a book that's really made an impact on you, the way that you lead or your your the way that you think. Um, I would say uh, there's a book out there called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, and I can't remember yes. who the author is. Daniel Kahneman. Uh, yes, and he's kind of the father of behavioral finance, um, and. I didn't know much about behavioral finance until I went to school, but um, it is a terribly interesting um, book, and it really gets you thinking about what motivates people and how much the the psychology affects people's decision making. And and I would say that that's probably um, one of the best business books I've ever read. Um, and it, it's kind of funny because you'll uh, there's a really good friend of mine here that's a very quantitative finance guy, and he uh, he despises behavioral finance. And so, in his mind, there's no reason why the, the, those types of stressors or or uh, thoughts should go through a decision. Uh, and so, it drives him mad. But we have great great debates on on that kind of stuff. But have you ever tested recommend. him with some of those questions that Kahneman's got in there about? If you could bet this and that, you know, would you take it? And how many people oh, say? Oh, yeah, but but he'll, you know, he's he's a he's an incredibly intelligent person. So you know, he'll craft a response that uh, that's hard to, that you know he'll always base his decision on either a value or or uh, you know he can bring it back to money or or some type of personal wealth to, yeah. to drive decision. So. So he's probably somebody that can that is the opposite of what Kahneman's talking about in oh, the book. Yeah. But it is a great book. I highly re- recommend it for people listening to it. It's one of my favorites. I read it two years ago. Um, use it a lot in just the way that uh, thinking, setting goals, and reversion to the mean, and and uh, yeah. uh, you know it's just really really helpful way to uh, process something. Step back for a second. Um, and really look at it, evaluate the numbers and the data and the percentages, and really see what you're getting and trade-offs. So it's just really good. It's a very yeah, good book. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Um, what uh, What's the best advice you ever received, Joe? Um, you know, uh, I'd say the the um, when I 
when I came to Noble, and by the time I got, it was my third rotation, and uh, so I was in I was in the Marcellus Operations Finance Group, and they were the the senior finance manager. Uh, has been working for Noble for, geez, I think he's in his 35th year. Um, great, great guy, great mentor to me, and you know this was during kind of that that the you know the struggling of you know. I'm going back and I'm learning a new job and, you know, I want things to be, you know, I want things to be faster. I want things coming to me. And, and, you know, he said, you know, you've got a great amount of talent and you've got a great amount of um, drive, but you've got to understand that, you, you know, you're not in an aviation unit anymore. Um, not everybody's type A and, if someone were to write a book at you, book of you at Noble, what do you want that book to say? And and that was that was really powerful to me in the sense that, you know, it corporate America, um, and, and depending on the company, and and I obviously only have one reference point, but but Noble is not a Noble is not a a a Chinook company. Um, it's not got it's not full of super type A's like myself. And so you've really got to understand what environment you're operating in, and and what would people write about you if if, if they if they were able to put pen to paper. So I, I'd say that was probably the best piece of advice coming out of coming out of the military and in transition. How did you adjust yourself based on that? Like, what specific actions did you have to take to? really adapt to that environment, Joe, especially I would think you're a type A aviator. Finance people are typically type A. How did you adjust? Uh, I, I tell you, I, uh, I sought out and hung out with um, the, the reservoir engineer that, that I ended up working for. He's probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Um, I found who I thought were the smartest people and recognized that they were um, infinitely smarter than me in, in the subject matters that they were trained in. And so it was kind of a force humbling exercise, um, which just made me learn. Um, and, and, it, and then, you know, and, and their personalities rubbed off and soon, uh, soon enough they were, you know, they were teaching and I was asking and it became a way more collaborative. Um, and, and I learned a whole lot more and it actually opened up more doors. It's what, allowed me to move between the finance org to the operations org. What has been your, um, uh, what, maybe the way it says, what's been the most surprising benefit of the transition from military now that you've been in the business for the last five years? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I would say that there in the military, it's very you know for aviate well I'm probably all officers I think it's it's a very rigid I mean you know you go from your platoon time to company time to staff time and and you're not you know depending on your personality you, you might look forward to one one position over the other but the corporate world um, the corporate world lets you, you know, Kind of set your own pace. It, it it really does allow you to pick what you want to do and and how you want to develop it. 
um, and develop it. I mean, you know, you can pick a role, and and I, I would say at least at Noble, and I think that's true for most organizations. If if you're competent and you're working hard, people people leave you alone, and and they want to see what you can do, and so you're not in a pipeline. And I, I would say that was that's probably been the most rewarding um, aspect is. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to call branch and figure out how to get one place or another. You know, it's, I can, you know, once you establish yourself, you can, you know, build relationships with the executives and you can go have really frank conversations with them and tell them what your goals are and, and they can help you enable them. You know, it's interesting because it's come full circle in the end kind of as we wind up here. When you were talking about your career path and talking to your CFO, Ken Fisher, and the other people in the field and corporate finance, you had agent. The, the word that I hear a lot today is agency, meaning that you had choice. You were your own agent. You were making these decisions. People weren't telling you what to do, but you had freedom to an input into your career, and freedom of input of where you wanted to be, when you wanted to do be, do that. But of course, that was all after you proved yourself in each role. I think it's very difficult for people to understand in the military, how much agency and choice they're going to get when they go to the business world. Likewise, I think that once they're in the business world, some people want agency and choice before they've proved themselves. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very fair statement. Um, and I think that um, I definitely think that if, if you're one year out and, and you think very strongly about that um, aspect of it, um, it, you, you know, it, that might drive your decision. Do I go to business school and uh, right out of transitioning, or do I go try to work and, and then manage business school if it comes into play for me or not? Uh, or it even drives what kind of company do you think you want to work for? Because clearly, the larger the organizations become, you know, they're 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 going to be more pipelined, if you will. Um, but I, but I think that's a great point um, that. Um, Regardless of what path you choose, you you've got to keep in mind that your skill set is unique uh, coming out of the military. But once you're in the business world, um, it, it equalizes uh, in the sense that uh, you, every Wharton MBA is is going to be afforded the same opportunities, and you're competing with with that group of people. Uh, so just just because you have a, a military background might you know, set you apart for an instant, uh, it, it's not going to be a, um, it, it doesn't afford you anything um, that uh, you, you otherwise wouldn't deserve. Right, right. Well, good. Joe, I really appreciate you being on the, being on the call today and um, the podcast and sharing with us your story. Um, it's hard, I really, it's not hard, but it's amazing. It seems like just yesterday you were making the transition and then all these Financial terms. I'm a finance major too. So all these financial terms and <laughs> things you're talking about, it's really amazing. And it's such a great example of of what a successful military officer can do in a in, in really in a wide variety of career fields. Finance, you obviously come in and you've mastered a whole different language, analytical skill set. Um, you know some of the different some things that maybe not uh, you necessarily got involved with as an aviator, but certainly brought a lot of that leadership problem solving and analytical thinking to from the military to the business world. So thank you for sharing all that.
Oh no! Thank, thanks for uh, thanks for the offer to to come on the podcast. I I really enjoyed it. Very good. All right. Take care, Joe. Thank you for being on the on the podcast, and uh, best of success. Uh, thanks, Joel.